This is Community Voices on NPR Illinois. I'm Vanessa Ferguson, and today we are getting to know our neighbor, Vern Clean. Vern, thank you for being here. My pleasure. You are a ornithologist, and uh, you've also worked with the Illinois Department of Conservation, so we're going to talk a lot about bird-related things. But first, we want to ask you the question we ask everybody, which is, how long have you lived here in central Illinois? I moved here in the fall of uh, 1972, so it's just going on 50 years. What made you move here? Jobs. Yeah? Where did you live before that? Well, I was the ornithologist for the state of Illinois with the Department of Conservation changed to the Department of Natural Resources oh, from wow. 1972 to 2001. So, so where did you live before moving to Springfield? Well, prior to this, my home was in Maryland. Oh, Maryland. Okay, my brother lives in um, Frederick, Maryland. So very, very fun place. I'm glad that we got you here in Illinois. So you have this huge passion for birds and studying them. What got you interested in birds? Back in the mid-1940s, my dad took up a 4-H project that started the study of birds. and So I got my interest through my dad in the late 40s and have kept it ever since. Was there like a first bird that got you hooked or anything? Mine is the red-winged blackbird. I get really excited when I see, I know they're pretty common, but that was the first name that I could remember. So what was your kind of spark bird? I think it was a barn owl. Oh, really? Along a creek bed. Yeah. In a little town in Nebraska. You know, that's so funny because a a couple summers ago, me and my stepdad, he loves birds, and I would go outside recording this animal screeching in the middle of the night, and I would say, you got to help me figure out what this is. So we kind of tried to look up every single kind of owl. We figured out it was an owl. But yeah, they're, they're fascinating, so I'm not surprised that that kind of piqued your interest. Now, you have not only enjoyed local birds, you've enjoyed birds from all around the globe. You've traveled, feels like everywhere. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the locations you've gone to? Well, I've been to most Central and South American countries, and South Africa, Russia, Cuba, and so I've been, like you said, had the privilege of being a lot of places, and a lot of those I was the tour guide to those places. So talk to me about that. When when you go on a tour, how do you plan that? Is it just you with a group of people saying, follow me, and you go into the jungle or the, the, the forest, or is there some strategic planning that goes along with that? Strategic planning. You first of all decide, where do people want to go? Okay, then you line up a trip, and you work with contractors in those particular locations so that everything goes smoothly that from the time you leave Springfield or wherever your home is, and you join the group in Central or South America, wherever it is, everything's all set. And so you put out this agenda, people look it over and say, that's a part of a trip I'd like to go on, so they sign up. But, I mean, they probably want to see some specific birds. How do you ensure that you are able to find those birds? I ask for a want list for the people who will go on my trips. A lot of times they're exotic stuff, but I say be realistic, and I give them a book and guide to, okay, here's the things you we're going to look for, and pick some of those as the ones you really want to see. Has there ever been a bird that you thought you would never find, 
and you saw it and were really amazed. I'll, I'll tell you, my my stepdad, he's seen a few albino birds, and he gets really, really excited telling me about it. Or do you have a few birds like that that you've just been really surprised to see? We look for some things and with expectations of not seeing it. So when you do see one like that, it is a thrill. And one of the biggest birds and most phenomenal is a jabiru. It's a big stork that we find in isolated locations in Costa Rica. Oh, wow. Wow. So when you're taking these groups, how many people are you responsible for? I've had true groups on local trips of maybe 15 or 20, but when I go on these foreign trips, I usually limit it to 10 because everybody wants to see anything. And if we're walking in single lines, the birds up front, the persons in the back don't get to see them. So you want a smaller group of people so all have a chance to see everything. Yeah, absolutely. So you've also done a lot of bird banding, which I think is is really fascinating. Can you talk to us about the work you've done with bird banding and and how that process works? Well, I've had a banding permit for over 60 years. And right now we have a banding station at the neighboring campus over here, Lincoln Land Community College. And we're out there every day except Sundays for about an eight-week period in the spring and a 10-week period in the fall. And from dawn in the morning until about 11 or 11.30 every day except Sundays. And we're catching these birds. And then the, so far in the 12 years we've been doing that over there, we've had 134 species of about 35,000 birds. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. So how do you catch them? I, I mean, my, I have a little dog. He tries to catch birds. He is not successful, and I am not nearly as fast as him. How do you do it? We could always use traps and bait the birds in, but out here we have we call mist nets and they're about 40 feet long and about eight foot high and they we string them on poles in the woods or on the grass and the birds can't see them they fly into them and then we come extract them carefully and oh, so we don't intro do they get stuck in that net then they get captured they don't really get stuck but, okay but they can't free themselves so I, I guess see. you could use the word stuck uh, and we have to have training to learn how to carefully remove these birds so we don't injure them. Yeah. How many birds do you catch per day when you're out there? It all depends on the weather yeah. and flight conditions the night before because most birds migrate at night. And anywhere from five on the low side to 150 on the top side. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's incredible. So after you band the birds, what kind of information do you learn from those, those bands being able to track them? Well, there's a variety of things. One, how old do they live to be? How many are there in a neighborhood where you're banding? Uh, one of the things in the fall in particular, did they have a good nesting season or not? Are there a lot of young birds compared to just adults? So are they the same birds that come back year after year after year? On hummingbirds, I get a lot of birds that come back, more so than any other birds. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, with climate change and things like that, I've, I've heard people say, oh, wow, the, the geese are coming at different times now. Are, have you ever noticed anything different about the, the migratory paths of birds? There's a few species here that 30 years ago were kind of scarce that now are very common. And they moved their migratory path. And I can think of uh, pelicans we used to not have or a whole lot of white-fronted geese. And there's a few other birds that populations are changing, and so. Does any of that concern you at all, or is it just kind of part of nature? I think it's just part of nature. I mean, I haven't significantly noted the difference physically here in Springfield area on the arrival or departure of birds 
their timing and so forth. But well, it's going to be natural no matter what. Right, right. Well, that I mean, that's good to know. It's certainly something that I think as kind of a, a just a regular person, I don't know really anything about birds. It's 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 crossed my mind of I wonder what's changing. But uh, it's good to know that people are on it and are watching it. If you're just joining us, this is Community Voices on NPR Illinois. I'm Vanessa Ferguson. And today we are getting to know our neighbor, Vern Clean. He is a ornithologist. And, you know, Vern, you mentioned hummingbirds. And so I'm fascinated by them they're they're a really cool bird but what really interests you about hummingbirds well they're a neat little bird like you say and they can be fascinating and people just sit and watch them forever and it's fun banding these birds i've banned about three thousand of them every summer and i can catch as many as uh, over a hundred to 150 at some people's feeders in one morning what three thousand over the summer i do that's incredible and again, but so when you're doing that, though, you don't put traps at people's feeders, do you? That's exactly how we catch them. You do. Use traps, and they fly in. They can't figure out how to get out. And so we go up and take them out. And I have about 15 hummingbird festivals throughout the state of Illinois. And then I have about 40 to 50 private spots where I ban hummingbirds as well. So I've seen some things pop up online about kind of taking care of the hummingbirds, um, how to put out like it's like sugar water for them or the syrup, what, whatever it is that they feed on. And people have put out warnings of things not to do, things to do. What should we do? Do you have any advice for us when we're putting out food for hummingbirds? Basically, it's homegrown stuff is the best. Cane sugar, one part sugar to four parts water. Is there anything we shouldn't do? Anything Don't that- put any red dye in it. They should not have any red in it. Oh, that's interesting. Because they cannot digest it properly. So the people who have plain sugar water versus red, those with plain sugar water, the birds live longer. But is it pretty common to put red dye in it? Because I it's, feel like I've seen that. Even at the stores where they sell it, uh, it's mostly for people who, who aren't familiar with it because um, they don't know any difference. They always think it's attracted to red, but it's harming the birds probably. Oh, okay. So it's an attraction thing. Okay. Well, that's great advice not to do that. You know, one of the frustrations I have with watching birds is I don't always know what I'm looking at. I don't have the terminology to figure out what kind of bird I'm looking at. So it's frustrating for me sometimes to get interested in in learning about birds because I don't know. So what is some advice that you would give for someone who maybe wants to kind of pursue this interest? Well, there's a Springfield Audubon Society here that meets out the Adams Wild life sanctuary every month get in touch with them or i'd be willing to answer questions myself because i get lots of phone calls and (laughs) i could probably figure out if you told me what you saw i could probably tell you what it is you know if there was only a net for Vern to to get him to come out with us to go bird watching you know i i know you've just held thousands of birds you've seen so many what are some of your favorite bird memories that you have i i mean tough question i used to be a research biologist for the Smithsonian Institution. I spent a lot of time out in the little remote islands out in the Pacific, and things like albatrosses and frigate birds and these large birds, some of the people never get to see, and taking vacations to different places and seeing unusual stuff. So there's a variety of stuff. I couldn't really just pinpoint one or two. Well, I want to go back because you mentioned the Smithsonian. How did you get involved with that organization? I mean, I imagine there's a lot of ornithologists in the world. How did you get picked? Well, they had a, a particular project they were working on, and I had been 
a volunteer at a lot of different places. And so when it came time to doing this job, I had just gotten out of the service and was looking for something. And one of my mentors, who was pretty prominent back in the East Coast from Maryland, asked me if I'd like to be a part of that team. And they said, after interviewing me, said, yeah, you'd fit in, so... <laughs> well, it sounds like you were young and ready to go uh-huh. to an island, too. <laughs> uh, late 20s. Perfect. Perfect time to go. I just want to talk a little bit more about your trips to Africa, your trips to South America. I mean, they, these seem like that you might be able to find some really exotic birds, things like ostriches or or uh, toucans. I don't know. I, I, this is pretty much all the birds I can all name. All the above. <laughs> right. So, I mean, what, just can you describe what's that like when you're in Africa and you see a big ostrich. I mean, can you tell us any stories about that? Because it's just, most people don't get to do that. Well, we have guides who have been these places before, so they take us to the spots where they know the birds occur. So um, once in a while we find one before the guide does, like a secretary bird or something else. And it's a fun thrill to say you're the one that's found it first before even the guide did. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of birds in Africa. We saw about 400 different species. In Central American and South American countries, we usually see anywhere from 300 to 400 species of different stuff. And a lot of them are exotic, like you say, toucans or parrots or macaws. Do you have birds at home? I'm just curious. No. no, no you if oh. I'm gone so long, that means I'd have to find someone to take care of them. Oh, so okay. I, that makes sense. We have no pets of any kind. So is there even a bird that you haven't seen that you would love to see? Do you have a list like oh, that? Oh, I have a, for instance, my Costa Rica list. I have a list of birds that I've seen, and I've got a list that I have not yet seen. So I sent that down to the guy down there and says, these are going to be the ones we're going to concentrate on. What? One bird I really miss is a bird it's out on Midway Island in Hawaii. It's called a short-tailed albatross. I was working there it's over 50 years ago, and it did not occur there then, and it's a very rare bird. Now there's about two nesting pairs out of hundreds of thousands of albatrosses. I would have loved to have seen that bird. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Well, it is just fascinating. I wish I could have kind of glossary of all the different birds you've seen. I imagine it would just be a really thick book of everything you've seen. But it's been incredible to to ask you questions about this. Before we let you go, if someone is interested in, in going on a bird tour or learning more about birds, maybe learning with you, how would they go about doing that? I would suggest, I guess I can give my email, the v clean K-L-E-E-N, at comcast.net, and say, in the heading, bird trips, because I delete most everything that comes across my email. Perfect, perfect. Bird, well, bird trips. Bird trips. Love that. So, Vern, it has been so great to sit down with you and just even just get it. I know it's just a glimpse into what your life is like as an ornithologist. But was there anything else that you were interested in sharing today that I didn't ask you about or any message you'd like to leave us with? Well, at our banding station, if people want to see birds close up, they're always welcome. We have no limitations. We invite participants to come and they'll get to see some of these birds they don't used to see anymore probably get a chance to let them go. Oh, wow. Wow. And that's out by Lincoln Land it's Community College? It's just, we're here in the UIS office right now. It's less than a mile south of here, just right in the north end of the 
campus property. You know, this is what I really like about Springfield because there are really cool things happening and, and sometimes we don't always know about them, but it's neat that just about a mile away, there's all these birds being caught every single day and banded and uh, released. So very, very cool. Vern, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life as an ornithologist and a leader of bird tours. We really appreciated having you here today on Community Voices. Thank you. Stay tuned to hear more from the Community Voices team on NPR Illinois 919 UIS.